following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Thank you, Ariana. If you didn't know, Ariana is one of our artists, one of many really talented artists here at Artisan. She's also an art teacher, and so her perspective on that kind of stuff is uh, quite valuable to us. Um, and that was an experience that, that may have been very new to some of you. Um, hopefully you enjoyed that, but as with any new experience, you can sometimes be challenged by simply the experience of it. But I think it flows really well into our topic today. We're in the midst of this series that you can see on the screen behind me, Ancient Paths, New Shoes, where we explore artisans' values. What are the things that make up our DNA as a church, uh, our calling as we see it, our reasons for doing the things that we do and for doing them in the way that we do? That's what this series is all about. And last week we started out the series by talking about our mission statement, which is to encounter God, embrace people, and engage culture in the way of Jesus. And we also talked about that image statement, which is um, sometimes more uh, uh, communicative to our image-driven minds uh, and, and culture. The image, which is uh, where we got the title of this series, are, is, is Ancient Paths, New Shoes, Journey Together. And that was really kind of a foundational message. If you're interested in, kind of in getting the whole picture, you should definitely go back and listen to that one. Um, but we're going to move on to our, our values now. We have a mission statement, and then we have five values that determine what are the things that we care about here at Artisan. The values are awe, beauty, roots, community, and justice. Now, we're going to skip awe for now because we already actually talked about that. Um, gave a, a sermon on October 7th. If you want to go back and listen to that, you can certainly find that on our podcast as well. That was the, the concluding message of the Our Faith Won't Fit series, where we had talked all this time about all the little things that, that maybe are interesting or unique about what, how we, we approach things and, and stuff that, we, that doesn't resonate with us, that maybe resonates with the church at large and, and so forth. And we finished it off with a, a, a discussion of how big God is, that God is so big, so awesome, in, you know, in the original meaning of that word, not the uh, meaning that that you and I developed when we were teenagers, most of us, um, but so big and awesome that, that he can't fit into any little box, no matter how unique or interesting it might be. Uh, so that message was about awe, and that's our first value, and uh, we're not going to talk about it during this series, but you can go back and listen to that one if you'd like. We have two topics today. The next two values are beauty and roots. Next week, we're going to talk about the fourth and fifth value, community and justice. Uh, but today is beauty and roots. And so it's essentially just a two, it's a, it's a double sermon today. It won't be twice as long, I hope, uh, but it'll be uh, twice as topical, I guess. So um, the, let's do the first one first, beauty. When we were doing the passing of the peace, I asked you to share with your friends what's the most breathtaking thing you have ever seen in person. And um, I bet you had some interesting conversations. 
What's some, what was something that somebody said? What, so if, you, if somebody told you something really interesting, what was it? Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls. Close right, right in our backyard, isn't it? What else? The Redwoods. Those trees are kind of big, huh? <laughs> what else did we, have we seen in person that's really breathtaking? Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon. Sarah? Columbia Gorge. Where is that, Sam? It's the, so the Columbia River breaks, goes between uh, the state of Washington, the state of Oregon, and there's a gorge there with the hills, like it kind of splits. Oh, cool. All right. It's what? Where Google gets all its power. Where Google gets all its power. Okay, yes. <laughs> um, so, like, all the... Uh, all the privacy-sucking sites on the internet get their, their electricity from Columbia Gorge. It's really beautiful. <laughs> what did you say? Childbirth. So it's it kind of embarrassing, yes. Childbirth is breathtaking. I, yes, I've seen that twice. Um, yeah. Well, the most breathtaking thing, now you're going to make me say that it's not my wife giving birth to our two sons, uh, the most breathtaking thing that I've ever seen in person, and I've seen some of these other things that you've said, so mine is more breathtaking, um, is uh, in Ireland. It's the Cliffs of Moher. And I have a photograph of this. It's a, it's a, I think I took this with an iPhone 3G, so it's not a super great photograph. Um, can you see the little tower at the end of that thing there? That's like several stories high. These cliffs are 600 feet above sea level, and it's just straight down. And as with anything of this size, a photograph will never ever come close to doing it justice. And some of you have been there and seen this, and you, will, you I'm sure, will agree that this photograph doesn't, doesn't capture the, the size of this thing. What's that? Yeah, there's a man in black climbing them. Yes, this is, the, uh, this is where the Cliffs of Insanity were uh, filmed in the movie The Princess Bride. That's correct. Um, so... The reason that I show you this, and the reason I wanted you, you guys to, to have that conversation with each other, is that the key to understanding our value of beauty is a theological idea that we, you, and I, and every person in the world, were made imago dei, in the image of God, the same God who made these cliffs, and who made the Grand Canyon, and who made Niagara Falls, and Columbia Gorge. We are made in the image of the same God who made all these beautiful things. These vastly, inconceivably beautiful things. <laughs> Genesis one twenty seven says, God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And it says this really deep theological thing right after it gives us a great long picture of God making all the different parts of the world. And that juxtaposition, I think, is very important. See, there's something innate in the way that we are made that causes us to be creative, to want to build things and, and make things, things that are not only functional, but things that are beautiful. I believe, and as artists in church, we express this as, as a value, that we are all artists in the mold of the master artist, or you might say that it'd be better to word it this way, that we are all artisans in the mold of the master artisan. 
So let me show you the statement that we make about, about beauty. This is, what, this is what's printed on our walls and, and in our bulletins sometimes and on our website. It says this, beauty, we are inspired by the breathtaking artistry of our creator and seek to reflect that beauty in all we do as we co-create with him. So again, it starts with who God is. And that suggests something important about who we are and something important about how we ought to act. And it also suggests something important about our view of the world and the people in it. We believe that all beautiful things flow from God and are worthy of being celebrated because we can see God in them. That goes for the cliffs and the canyons and the northern lights and the Milky Way. It also goes for (laughs) micro-beauty compared to those things. It goes, goes for the things that are made by human hands. All beautiful things flow from God and are worthy of being celebrated because we see God in them. That piece of art that Ariana used to guide our meditation did not have anything in it that was like obviously Christian, right? You told us that the artist was a Christian, but just looking at that, that piece of art, I would, I would suggest that you couldn't determine the faith of the person who made it just by looking at the art. The statement that I just made, that we believe all beautiful things flow from God and are worthy of being celebrated because we see God in them, those, that statement is true even of beautiful things that don't contain an explicitly, outwardly Christian message. And it is true of beautiful things that are made by people who do not express Christian faith. Now, if you think I'm going off the track here, and you're like, if you, if you don't know me and haven't heard me preach before, and you're going, what is this guy talking about? I thought I came to a church that was going to preach the Bible. And um, let me give you a little biblical basis for this idea. Now, we don't have, unfortunately, enough time to go into this story with a great deal of depth. But if you are challenged by what I just said, I would suggest that you read the story of the construction of Solomon's temple in 2 Chronicles. And take a look at how many of the craftspeople who were involved in the creation of this most holy place on earth at the time were Gentiles. The whole Jewish-Gentile thing is not really, it doesn't speak much to us nowadays, but understand that for the people in that time to have Gentiles building their holy temple was crazy. They were pagans. But they were commissioned to to do this work because, and one of them in particular, one craftsman in particular, Hiram Abi, was commissioned to do this work because he was the most skilled person in the known world for doing this kind of work. He was the best at bringing out the beauty that needed to be present in the temple where people would worship God. And he was a pagan, a Gentile. 
an unclean person. So if you sometimes wonder why we have guitar solos in our songs, <laughs> instrumental sections, songs that don't have any words, or songs that maybe were not intended to be used in worship, they do have words, but they're not like, Lord, I lift your name on high. Or That's why it's our, it's our belief and our value of beauty. Now, you heard, if you were here on time this morning, which is like 14 of you, um, I'm just saying... Uh, we're trying to start on time, remember? <laughs> you, if you were here for the, I think it was the first song, you probably noticed, if you're real sharp, uh, a quotation from a U2 song right in the middle of Your Love is Strong. The, Your Love is Strong is based on the Lord's Prayer, okay? It does not get much more biblical than that. It doesn't get much Jesus-ier than, than the Lord's Prayer. But they stuck that quote from you two in there, and uh, we didn't excommunicate them. Sometimes you see art on our walls. There's art right, right there, actually, that the, some, of our, some of the women did on their women's retreat recently. And I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there when they did that, but it just looks like a bunch of trees to me. I don't know. What's Christian about trees, Right? Except in a sense, everything, right? I mean, it's, it's the beauty of creation brought close in the beauty of creating. Now, this is a challenging idea. I recognize that. If you engage with beauty for beauty's sake, or I, I would say that maybe the better way to express that would be if you engage with beauty for God's sake, when you do that, you will sometimes find things that are uncomfortable and, and even disturbing. See, beauty is not always pretty. Beauty is one of our values, and it's not always pretty. And it's one of our values. And it's not always pretty. last thing that I will say uh, about this value for now is I want to read to you a verse from Philippians 4.8. This is a verse that you Sunday school kids no doubt had to memorize. Pretty sure I had to memorize it, probably in the King James, which is not the translation I'll use at this moment in time. But this verse is very interesting to me because in light of what I've just been saying you may find this verse being turned on its head, your interpretation of this verse being turned on its head. Philippians 4, 8. Does anybody have this memorized just from the, the scripture reference? I bet there's a couple of you. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. I was taught to believe that this verse meant that you should never think about anything unholy. <laughs> that, if, that if anything uh, ugly crept into your thoughts, you should reject it and only focus on the things that are pretty. It's not exactly what the text says, but I think we could forgive people for making that connection. 
I would suggest that the inverse of that is possibly what might have been the intended meaning. It certainly is a meaning that we can receive from it today. If you added a few words, if you said whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, even if it doesn't have a Bible verse stamped on it, and even if it doesn't have a little Christian slogan underneath it, and even if you didn't buy it in a Christian bookstore, think about these things. Beauty is one of our values, but it's not always pretty. End side A. (laughs) That's beauty. And, I know I say this kind of thing a lot, but we could have spent a lot more time on that, couldn't we? I mean, that's a a big thing. We could argue back and forth about that. We could have a great discussion. Um, You know, I could give a very long speech. Um, But the nature of this series is that we're doing two values in each Sunday, so the next value that we need to move on to is the value of roots, which I think will be challenging for some of you for different reasons than the value of beauty was, but um, is still something that we should wrestle with and engage with. So here is our statement that we make about the value of roots. Why are roots important to us? This is what we say. We are deeply rooted in the historic Christian faith as revealed in Scripture and worked out in the life of God's people through the ages. To understand where I'm going to go with this, I think that perhaps the most important word on the screen right now is the word and. You know how I like being a word person and sometimes I say the little words are the most important ones. That little word and says something fairly significant about how we approach our faith here at Artisan. And uh, we are Protestants. We are from that tradition. We embrace it. But the word and is a little bit of a a pushing back away from hardcore Protestant ideology. And that's intentional. What do I mean by that? Our faith is rooted in Scripture. Make no mistake, we consider the Bible to be the final authority on, on our lives together. Is the best resource we have for knowing Jesus and knowing God through him. But it would be naive to think that today, in the year 2012, we are somehow uniquely equipped to understand the Bible better than everyone who came before us. Which is kind of the way Protestantism started. <laughs> In, in a sense. I mean, there's a lot going on there. But the Protestant ideal has some sense of that naive belief that, that nowadays, in your present moment, you are better equipped to understand the Bible than everyone who came before you. Let me give you a real-world example. Does, is anybody nerdy enough to have a favorite Bible scholar? <laughs> I wish we had a cricket sound effect right now. <laughs> Nobody, I mean, I know there's some people who've been to seminary in this room. 
Okay, yes. <laughs> okay. Get out! Just kidding. Uh, Greg Boyd. I like Greg Boyd, too. What were you going to say, Chris? You're another seminarian. Richard Middleton. He's a local dude. Sturz, do you have a favorite biblical scholar? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dietrich Bonhoeffer, another great one. Yeah. All right. So pick your favorite one. Augustine's too old. You'll think of it. Okay. You tell me after if you don't remember it in time. Any of these people that we've just meant, mentioned, and they're all, they're all dudes, sorry to say, but they don't, that doesn't mean that they had to be. Pick your favorite one. Let's go with... Um, what? And Lamott. I don't know about a biblical scholar. <laughs> I mean, I love Anne Lamott, but... <laughs> I was just to yeah. C.S. Lewis, that's a great one. Did you have one too? Joan Sh... Shichester. I'm not sure I know that one. Shichester. Okay. Great. All right, so let's go with C.S. Lewis, because everybody in the room knows C.S. Lewis. He's not exactly a biblical scholar either, but he has a lot to say about the faith, doesn't he? A lot of great things to say about the faith. If you don't like C.S. Lewis, that's like, I mean, what's wrong with you? It's like saying you don't like puppies. <laughs> Let's put C.S. Lewis up against a, a, a person named Irenaeus. Who li- it's, it's, not, it's not a fair fight. C.S. Lewis is going to get bloodied in this one. Irenaeus uh, died in the year 202. It's a three-digit year. Uh, that starts with two. <laughs> so pretty early on, right? Irenaeus was a disciple of a, another person named Polycarp. And Irenaeus said that Polycarp was a disciple of a person named John. You may have heard of John. He was a disciple of a person named Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. <laughs> so Irenaeus... Student of Polycarp, student of John, student of Jesus. That's, that's like not even Kevin Bacon distance apart, right? <laughs> I, love, I love me some C.S. Lewis, like the kids say, but I am not going to trust him more than I trust Irenaeus when it comes to interpreting the words of Jesus. I'm just not going to do it. So I said a moment ago that I think it would be naive to think that in the year 2012 we have this great revelation. I actually think it's worse than naive. I think it's arrogant. Another uh, Catholic theologian from the modern era, G.K. Chesterton, said this. I, I put this quote on the screen because it's so great. Talking about tradition. Tradition means giving a vote to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. It is the democracy of the dead. Tradition refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about. He goes on to say, democracy objects to men being disqualified by the accident of birth. Tradition objects to their being disqualified by the accident of death. See, it's very important to recognize that the faith that we embrace that gives us meaning and purpose is older than we are. It's older than Billy Graham, who's pretty old. It's older than C.S. Lewis, who's so old he's dead. 
It's older than Bonhoeffer. It's older than Augustine. It's even older than Irenaeus. Roots is the value that says we honor that. Today we said the Nicene Creed together. And I promised you I'd tell you why we use that one instead of the Apostles' Creed. Reason number one is because somebody asked me to do it recently. Um, reason number two, actually they're inverted. But reason, the, the, re- the big reason is that the Nicene Creed is a little bit um, more dicey historically. And I don't mean dicey, but I don't mean by dicey that, it's, that we should believe it any less. I mean that it was born out of a little bit more controversy than the Apostles' Creed was. The Nicene Creed was written to explain some of the clauses in the Apostles' Creed and expand on them a little bit because heresy, wrong belief, had crept into the church and the church needed to say, no, we don't actually believe that, you know, for example, Jesus was only human and not really God or that he was only God and not really human. We believe that he's both. And, and the Nicene Creed is, is an important step an important moment in the history of our Christian faith because it codified and specified some things that now are considered simply part of Orthodox doctrine, something that all Orthodox Christians believe, even us Protestants. And I used it to illustrate the point that not only do we, have, do we not have some special ability to interpret Scripture, But Scripture as we know it and the truths that flow from it do not exist without the benefit of tradition. That's why the word and is so important in this statement. We are deeply rooted in the historic Christian faith as revealed in Scripture. Yes, number one. Number two, and worked out in the life of God's people through the ages because we cannot neglect that. As a matter of fact, this Bible, which is the Bible that we all read in this in this room together. How many books in this Bible? 66. If you are a Christian nerd, you can probably wrap all 66 of them. Do you, you, oh, Ken has the Apocrypha. Ken! Ken, you are such a Christian nerd. (laughs) When did we get these 66 books collected together? Jesus hand them out on his way up to the clouds? Did Irenaeus give them to us in the year 202 on his deathbed? Did Augustine give them to us in the 4th century? Mm -mm. This particular collection of books, though they were all written before all that stuff except Jesus happened, they were not collected in this exact way until the middle of the 400s. So, you can try, if you would like, to say... The Bible is good enough for me. I don't need the tradition of the church. I reject the tradition of the church. I will interpret the Bible and I will stand on it in the year 2012 on the date November 18th. And you're going to have to live with it. You can try to say that. But I will simply say to you that you don't have that book in that particular collection until you hear a few hundred years of the tradition of the church. Roots. You can pretend they're not there. You can pretend they're not important, but without them, your tree falls down. You might remember the verse that I gave you last week when we were talking about um, our image statement and the the phrase in there, ancient paths. I'd like to read that verse to you again. Um, It's not on the screen, so just listen to these words. Jeremiah 6.16 from one of the great prophets of the Bible. 
Thus says the Lord, stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way lies and walk in it and find rest for your souls. In our image statement, that phrase, ancient paths, that is what we express with our value of roots. There's a New, Test- New Testament version of this same idea from Second Thessalonians chapter 2, 15. So then, brothers and sisters, and I would say this to you, just as Paul said it to the church in Thessalonica, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by our letter. Now, Paul's talking about roots there. They're not as deep in that moment as they are today. But what he's saying is, hold fast to to the origins of the faith. The road that we walk together is an ancient path. It stretches back a long way. And at Artisan, we consider that a wonderful gift. So, beauty and roots. We are inspired by the breathtaking artistry of our Creator and seek to reflect that beauty in all we do as we co-create with Him. We are deeply rooted in the historic Christian faith as revealed in Scripture and worked out in the life of God's people through the ages. Two of our values, founded in Scripture, guiding our attitudes and our practices of Christian community today. And before we come to communion, which is both beautiful and rooted, I might say, I want to take just a minute to tell you about something that's happening tonight. At 5 p.m., right here in this room, Artisan is holding one of our signature immersed services. If you are new-ish to Artisan, you've probably never been to one of these services, but an immersed service is an experiential, multi-sensory, non-linear, self-guided worship experience. Um, Instead of coming and and having a very strict order of worship, which you come to experience every Sunday morning. Uh, it may not feel strict, but it's very strict, our liturgy. Tonight, you will come and guide yourself through an experience. And instead of hearing somebody yap at you or sing at you, um, though you should, be, you should be engaging in the act of listening and certainly engaging in the act of singing, um, instead of any of those things happening in this, this back-and-forth fashion, it will, it will be self-guided and experiential, immersive, if you will. Uh, we will have five stations set up, one for each of our values, awe, beauty, roots, community, and justice. And so right in the middle of this series, we're planting this experience for you. Um, and I would strongly encourage you to come to this tonight. It's going to be really beautiful, really wonderful, and it's going it's to make you experience our values in a way that I can't possibly make you do. With, with the best sermons I ever gave, I couldn't do this. So please come tonight. It runs 5 to 7. You can come anytime you want. Go at your own pace. On average, it takes about 45 minutes. If you're a slow-going person, you want to get here no later than 6, because you may want a full hour. If you're a quick person, you can sneak in um, a little bit later. It's, it's entirely appropriate for children. You know, kind of walk them through it if you're a parent. Um, have them experience this. You might be really surprised. I know I have been over the years at what your kids can show you when they do these kind of, uh, kind of things. 
And so I want to say thank you um, to Dave uh, and Ariana and Brian and uh, anybody else who's been involved in planning this immersed service. Is there anybody else who I should definitely mention? Bethany? Yeah. So thank you to you guys for putting this together, and I can't wait to be part of it. I would really strongly encourage all of you to be a part of it as well. It's tonight, right here, uh, between 5 and 7 p.m. That's immersed. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to invite our band to come back up. The so-and-sos are going to lead us in a couple of more uh, songs. And as we're doing that, I'd invite you to participate in this holy sacrament of communion. The sacrament instituted by Jesus himself in his last supper with his disciples. Receive the bread, his body broken for you. Dip it in the wine or the juice, his blood shed for you. Know him, know him to be present with you as you do it. Reach back through history and join in the beauty of this sacrament with all the Christians who've come before you and reach out into the future toward all the Christians who will be coming after you. This is the root. This is perhaps the best way to understand these two values today. So if you are a person following Jesus, you're invited to be part of this. doesn't matter if you're a member here or part of our denomination. You are simply coming to do this as an expression of your faith in Jesus, your trust in him. Let's continue to worship him together, and you can come whenever you're ready. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.